Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. Joined by my guy, John Stargarian. You guys can follow him at MMA Fox on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 46. And I say it with such emphasis because it's been too goddamn long. It feels like a whole month since I've done a propping you up show or any show to begin with that's been live. So this is my first uh, foray back into the live streaming world. Uh, other than, you know, the Deadlock podcast I did with my, with my guy Clint last week. But we're here to talk bets. We're here to talk props specifically. I'm glad to see my guy John over there. Congratulations on the new crib as well. Thank you. Big Thank you. big moves uh, ending off the year and beginning the year here for you. Uh, what was your holidays like? Well, what do you you know what went down other than the move? Well, my holidays, I uh, my wife and I tested COVID the day before Christmas Eve. Tested positive for it, so oh, we no. proceeded to spend the next two weeks at home doing nothing. Um, and then my son tested positive for it. So oh my god, I've been he his first day back at daycare in a month is today. So that's cool. So then we moved, which is awesome. But other than that, you know, fortunately, I couldn't do anything over Christmas and New Year's. But you were kind enough to update the next five events for UFC. Um, and I, I may have made a mistake taping them all because it left me with yeah. nothing to do for the next two weeks. On top of which, I don't even know how many of those fights are going to actually happen <laughs> with how this is going right now. But I'm excited to get back to it. I know. Uh, I, I know there's a, a weekend off January 29th for the UFC, but Bellator is that weekend as well with Bader defending his heavyweight title. So hopefully that should, you know, hold us over until uh, the fights come back. Because I believe after that, there's like eight or nine straight weekends of events. We're right back into the thick of things. And I'm sure me and you both would not want it any other way. We want these back-to-back -back fight weekends so that we can get some bets and stuff going. Uh, yeah, I was with you as well. I got ahead of schedule on the tape annex, all my studying and all that stuff. And it's just oh so shitty when all these fights start falling apart and you're just like what did i even do it for what why why and honestly we might be looking at like i mean obviously this strain of covid doesn't seem to be so bad i'm not a virologist but we literally could be looking at you know what we were looking at in year one of covid where we were getting five six pullouts a card wouldn't really shock me if that's what we see for the next couple months till it gets to the warmer weather you know if we get some more justin james on the in the ufc <laughs> i'm fine with that i'm completely okay with that Go to money making opportunities for sure, unless of course you're on Frank Camacho the first time you stepped into the cage. But uh, we are here to talk about UFC Vegas 46. So we got 10 fights on tap as of Thursday afternoon. So hopefully, no other fights fall off. I believe the only one that's in somewhat jeopardy is the Joe Anderson Brito fight against yeah. Bill Algio. But as of right now, it's on. So we're going to talk about it once we get to that point in the card. But Kicking things off, we got Brian Kelleher, who, Kelleher who's going to be accepting a new opponent on short notice here. He's taking up uh, Kevin Kroom. Uh, he's actually going up a, a weight class to take this fight, but that's not anything new for Kelleher. He's taken fights at 145 in the past and obviously against much better opponents. Luckily for him here, it's a guy in Kevin Kroom. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at uh, minus... What do we got now? Minus uh, three, minus two ninety. Let's say for Brian Kelleher, plus two thirty the return on Kevin Kroom. Obviously, no uh, props out yet since this was just announced yesterday. But uh, I believe me and you both were on Kevin Kroom last time around against Bruce Leroy, and uh, that didn't go too you know 
the way that we expected it to go. The cardio dump was just insane, especially considering we've seen him go out there and use that same type of game plan in the past and actually have the cardio to do it for 25 minutes. If you guys watched the Anderson Hutchinson fight, similar to that, uh, you know, cardio looked a little bit better than the Bruce Leroy fight. But man, when he gets tired, he gets hella sloppy. We saw Bruce, Bruce Leroy literally lighting him up in that third round with some beautiful shots and beautiful counters. Uh, and then the takedown attempts were just atrocious as well. Brian Kelleher, we know he has a nasty guillotine. So any sloppy takedown attempt here from Kevin Kroom is going to be ill-advised. And then on the feet, boom, that's his nickname for a reason, right? The guy has some power in his hands. And I think that he'll be able to eventually find Kevin Kroom here. So rather than paying minus 290 on Kelleher, I'm going to see what the uh, inside the distance line is here for Kelleher. I wouldn't be surprised if it's around even money. I wouldn't even mind a little bit of a stab at that, but uh, KO or sub are both live here. I don't think this is a spot where you want to cherry pick and pick one of those. I think taking the inside the distance is probably the best way to go about it. I'm not giving Kevin Crew much of a chance here on short notice, man, especially with his poor gas tank issues from the past. If that comes into play here, especially on short notice, we're going to be kicking ourselves in the butt. I get it. Nobody should really be plus 230, plus 240 against a guy like Brian Keller. But given the circumstances and everything, I'm on, I'm on the boom train once again here. I'm going to see what the inside the distance line is, and I'll likely be playing that. What about you? First of all, how dare you? I was not on Kevin Kroom against you Alex Harris. No, 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 I bet Caceres on fight night, actually. Oh, shit. Okay, <laughs> never mind. I apologize. So I'm the one that looks like a complete idiot over here. <laughs> um, I, I'm just kidding. But what I will say, look, I agree with just about everything you said. I mean, at the end of the day, Brian Kelleher, I think, in just about every facet of MMA, is the more skilled fighter here. And, but I have some concerns, um, especially, look, I get he's fought at 45. He's done it a bunch during COVID, but those were also fights that he was like training to fight at 45. You know, this fight, he was training for a fight at 35. He was mid-weight cut. And now he's fighting at 45 against Kroom, who's, who's not a small 45, for being honest. He's a pretty big dude. You know, I think yeah. he's got five or six inches of height on Kelleher, like six inches of reach. Now, fortunately for Boom, you know, Kroom can't use his reach at all. But it, it is something that, you know, worries me a little bit for, for on the boom side of things, just because, look, he's fighting a guy who's probably going to be a buck 60, a buck 65 in the cage, and he's going to probably be about 150, you know, like that's, that's a bit concerning because both because you know, Kroom, you know, is going to try to grapple like all hell, no matter what. Uh, I don't know how much success he'll have. I think Keller is a better wrestler. Um, I, I guess when I look at it, like, for me, I think the line's probably more or less right in that minus 3, 325 spot on the money line. It's just so hard for me to say, you know, I, I just can't really see Kevin Kroom asserting his will against guys that can grapple at this level, and he's not going to add strike boom. So I'm kind of with you. I, I think if we got a boom inside the distance at like a plus number, I'd be interested. I don't know that I would lay a minus number. Like like uh, Kroom survived an absolute shit-kicking from Casares. Uh, like the guy is durable and he's tough. But if we got like plus 150 on, you know, on a Kelleher inside the distance, maybe like plus 300 on a subline, like, you know, I, I would, I might take a shot at that. But yeah, I mean, it should be an exciting fight. I, I wish, I'm a boom fan, so I wish he wasn't putting himself in this situation, but I get it. The guy's got to stay busy, right? Uh, he was, I think his last fight was last August as well, uh, where he was the lock of the night play for me, actually, yep. against uh, Domingo Pilarte and Glad. That uh, I know it brought like a halt to the momentum of that fight. If you guys remember, there was like the Ignacio Baja Mone spinning back kick on that card. There's a ton of finishes leading up to that fight. And then Keller had just three takedowns, 13 and minutes of control to. time. And yeah. I was the most lit guy in the crowd because of how much money I had on <laughs> Keller. And just said, keep it. I don't care. 
I don't need to finish. Just grind them out. So, but you know what, Luck? When we have money on guys, I want them to fight boring. If that's the path of least resistance, I don't need excitement. Do the job. John Fitch is the most exciting fighter if you have money on him. Let's just put it that way. Uh, shout out to my guy DFS Whispers here for the four ninety nine do- donation. What's up, fellas? Great to have the show back. New year, new money. Exactly. Not to mention my guy MMA Fox over there has a new mortgage to pay for. So I'm sure he's looking for uh, so, some more money to put towards to that. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got another somewhat shorter fight here. TJ Brown originally supposed to go up against Gabriel Benitez. I actually had to play on Gabriel Benitez in this spot. I really liked him there. Uh, now he's going up against Charles Rosa. Uh, in terms of odds, we got... Uh, why can't I find it here? Best fight odds? Horrible now. Horrible yeah, in terms the of replacements. They don't even have Calvin Cater versus Giga Chikaze on their card. But it you is have to it scroll is. down to like other fights. I yeah, mean, future future there. events. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of this one, uh, minus two sixty for TJ Brown, plus two ten for Charles Rosa. Uh, I I uh, actually said this on Twitter as soon as this fight got announced uh, a couple fights ago. Mr. James Krause led Derek Minner to his first ever decision victory in six years. That's a total of twenty fights for Mr. Derek Minner. First ever decision victory over Charles Rosa, and he has the same head coach here with TJ Brown now, and I believe. Uh, we could see something similar, right? Very easy game plan against a guy like Charles Rosa. Take this guy to the ground. He trusts his jiu-jitsu a little bit too much at times. Uh, I do believe a Charles Rosa sub could be live potentially here, given that TJ Brown's three uh, three out of his six losses have come via submission in the past. Uh, you know, as much shit as we want to give Rosa for just laying on his back, he's kind of active. So you have to mind your P's and Q's when you're on top of him. And a guy like TJ Brown, who could be reckless at times, I could find him eventually getting a... Uh, caught in something here but again short notice uh you know literally flew out to vegas from florida on wednesday morning and you got to weigh in on uh, on friday obviously here right so uh not the best circumstances for charles rosa who actually threw his name in the hat for Ilya Taporia's next week but i'm glad that he's breathing a, a slight sigh of relief at this point <laughs> in time when they're like you want uh tj brown instead yeah sure absolutely keep, keep me keep me busy coach um but yeah, I, I think that we'll see a rinse and repeat type of approach here from the James Krause led uh, TJ Brown takedowns, stay on top of Charles Rosa. If this fight plays on the feet, I could see it being closer. You know what I mean? Rosa isn't the, the worst on his feet. I know uh, one thing that I like to kind of remind people is when you see him kind of in that southpaw stance, he goes to that karate style, that Wonder Boy style. You even hear his coaches screaming out Wonder Boy, Wonder Boy, whenever he's in that southpaw stance and he likes to kick a lot more. And then when he's in the conventional orthodox stance, you'll see more so uses boxing and stuff. But I don't know how much striking we're going to get here. I think TJ Brown's going to be diving for those legs pretty quickly in this spot. And uh, I think he grinds them out. TJ Brown by decision. You know, Charles Rosa is very durable, very difficult to put away. Uh, yeah, that's that's the side that I'm leaning with. And obviously, since the fight was just announced a day or two ago, uh, or yesterday, sorry, no props yet. But I'd be going with TJ Brown via decision. How do you feel about this one? I do wonder. They just announced Rosa has a new contract, right? Uh TJ or Charles Rosa did. Yeah, Charles Rosa signed a new contract and uh took this on short notice. So I'm wondering, like, if they kind of told him you're gonna be our short notice mule if we signed you to another four fight deal, because I don't understand why else they would give him another four fight deal, you know. But sure enough, he's throwing his hat at every fight left and right. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, in terms of the fight, if he had a full camp, I'd be moderately interested in Rosa at this number. I, I don't really Look, we all know the issues in Charles Rose's game are very apparent. You know, the guy will play guard. He has very weak hips, and he's very easy to take down. Um, If you're a good grappler, the odds are you're just going to grind him out, and it's going to look pretty ugly. We saw that happen with Derek Bitter. We saw it happen with Bryce Mitchell. 
What I will say, though, his last two fights with Justin James and Damon Jackson, he actually worked a little bit harder to get up. I wouldn't say, like, he displayed what I would call a good get-up game, but he actually tried to initiate scrambles and get back to his feet. And he actually, you know, against James, he was able to. And he was, you know, the Jackson fight, while I would call it a clear Jackson win, it was it was moderately close, you know. It's not like he just got dumpstered. I think the round two was pretty bad, but round one and three were both quite close. Um, and I would say Damon Jackson, I think, was a much better grappler than T.J. Brown is. Yeah. Uh, and I think Justin James is probably a better wrestler than T.J. Brown. He just doesn't have the gas. Uh, and on the feet, look, Rose's striking is janky as fuck, but, like, we've seen him win two rounds on the feet against Shane Burgos. He beat Kevin Aguilar in a kickboxing match. You know, he's janky, but he's very good at avoiding damage and just landing pot shots on you. And I don't really – like, I actually favor him on the feet quite significantly. The problem, of course, is just, like, even though I think Rosa can be scrambly here, I don't think Brown is a better grappler than his, anybody he's faced recently. If Brown attempts takedowns, he's going to get him down. You know, you have to figure he's going to get seven, eight minutes of top time. But I do kind of think there's going to be opportunities for Rosa to sub him, if I'm being completely honest. Like, let's not forget, TJ Brown is the same man that got subbed by Jordan Griffin from side control. Like, how do you get guillotined from side control? I don't yeah. know. But I, I just think Brown in general has questionable fight IQ, both in the grappling and on the feet. Like, you go to the Danny Chavez fight, what are you doing, TJ, sitting out yeah. there at distance with him for eight minutes before you attempt the takedown, you know? It, it, it was very weird. Kamaka fight, same deal. Kamaka coming off getting ragged out by Jonathan Pierce, and Brown doesn't proactively try to grapple him and almost loses that fight. Uh, I could never lay this number with TJ Brown. Charles Rosa on a date on 48 hours notice. I don't really have terrible much interest in either. But what I will say, I might take a flyer on, you know, if we get something like Rosa sub plus 700 or something, I might take a small poke at that because I do think it's live. Yeah, that's that's honestly the only spot that I would probably take a shot on as well. Again, if it's juicy enough, and considering that he's a, a big underdog here, right? Yeah, you got to believe that that number is actually going to be nice and big. So, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. T.J. Brown decision, uh, Charles Rosa submission. The, those are the two spots I'm looking at. But yeah, you're right. T.J. Brown's not a guy that I want to trust at minus three hundred either. But uh, again, short notice nature. What what can you do in this spot? So yeah. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, hopefully, uh, a little bit more of a banger we got ahead of us here. Ramiz Brahimai going up against Court McGee. In terms of odds, we're now looking at minus 105 for Court McGee and minus 115 for um, for Brahimai. Seems like the money is coming in on the youngster here and Brahimai, who's uh, looking to uh, maybe submit Court McGee for the first time in his professional career. That's definitely on the table here. As that's more often than not his path to victory in his fights. The guy's a banshee, likes to come out there, likes to get his opponents out of there early, just as he did last time around against Sasha Palatnikov. <laughs> Tough fight, though, man. Court McGee is a, is a grinder. He's a crusher, like his nickname indicates. But, like, physically speaking, he he's looked in the best con uh, shape of his career, right? Like, the guy looks just jacked and looks shredded. He looks ready to go. He seems fully committed to the MMA game. And I know he's up there in age, I believe 36 or 37 at this point. But I still feel he has enough in the tank to beat a guy like Ramiz. You know, Ramiz, uh, if he can't get him out of there early, I think he's going to struggle the later that this fight goes. Now, I'm not saying Ramiz has a horrible gas tank issue, but he does. Does notice, noticeably start to slow down as fights start to go on. When you have losses to the guys that he has losses to on the regional scene, you got to question whether he even deserves to be in the UFC. However, 
The guy's entertaining. The guy's fun, and he can still go out there and choke you out. So uh, I understand why he's in the UFC, but there's certain matchups that I feel like a guy like Court McGee could take full advantage of, and this is definitely one of those. So um, it seems like the public, like I said, is starting to come in on Ramiz. I, I saw uh, Court McGee roughly around minus 120, minus 125 early, uh, later last week, but now uh, everybody jumping in and probably fading old man Court McGee here. I don't think that's the, the the smart thing to do. So the couple spots that I'm looking at here, uh, Court McGee straight is a great play in my opinion. At even money, I think that's a solid spot. Uh, over two and a half minus one seventy five. Uh, again, uh, if there's a finish, probably comes from Ramiz early or Court McGee late. Um, so the two props that I'd be looking at for Court McGee, McGee by decision, which is in at plus one sixty five, and then you know I love that round three prop, John. You know I love it. Plus eighteen hundred Court McGee round three. Got to take a little bit of a shot there. How are you feeling here? Yeah, I like McGee quite a bit here, if I'm being honest. I, I don't really – I'll be honest. I'm so kind of perplexed at this line that it makes me a little nervous that somebody knows something that I don't about, like, what's going on here. Because I, I just don't – and, look, Ramiz seems like a good kid. I, I know he's friends. I know one of my buddies are friends with him. They say he's great. And, look, I just don't think from a talent perspective he's a UFC-level fighter. I, that's just – you know, even – He's got a bunch of flashy sub ones, but even his grappling, I think, is a little bit suspect, to be honest. He's not much of a wrestler. Like, he'll go for it and try to blast W, but I don't think if you stop his initial takedown attempts, he has much after that. And on the mat, look, he is aggressive in passing and looking for a finish, but he's not a kind of guy who's going to come out here, hit a takedown, go to half guard, consolidate that position, throw ground and pound, hold you down. That's not really his game. It's kill or be killed. Um striking he's very slow his hands are slow his output's quite low uh, he's defensively quite susceptible his cardio is pretty suspect you know this is a guy who has won every one of his victories in round one except for one which was early in round two you know he lost decisions regionally to justin patterson and evan cuts and now he's even money with court mcgee i don't think it really makes sense you know you touched on it a bit but basically no one throughout his entire career has controlled court mcgee like court mcgee fought alex garcia out grappled him held his own grappling with Ryan LaFleur. Both of them are superior grapplers to Ramiz Brahimaj. Sean Brady couldn't control Court McGee, you know? I pretty much – I know he's 2-5 and five in his last seven, but pretty much every guy he's fought over that period of time I would favor pretty significantly against Ramiz. And so I get it. He's 37 years old, and if you want to take an age angle, I guess I see that. But, like, if he can't have some grappling success, is he going to outstrike him? I mean, McGee's output is much, much better than Ramiz's is and historically to, to an absurd degree. Uh, McGee's had striking success against really good fighters, whereas Ramiz has looked pretty suspect in the striking against regional guys who aren't very good. And, and the cardio gap between the two of them is massive as well. Uh, I, I And even to be honest, this is kind of a hot take, but even in the grappling, I'm not really convinced Ramiz is a better grappler than Court McGee is. I, I, I would not be surprised if Court just flat out out grapples him for three rounds here. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really see uh, any a, any spot here where I think Ramiz is going to win this fight, if I'm being completely honest. I, I'm not like – I have a decent amount on it. I'm not huge on it just because he is 37, and I think you do have to respect the fact that he could decline fast. But I think McGee is a superior fighter in just about every way. Uh, in terms of props, look, I think a late round three stab is not a bad look. I also like McGee's decision. You know, traditionally not a huge hitter. We saw Ramiz, even though he got finished, he got finished his injury against Griffin. You know, Ramiz has fought Max Griffin and was able to take the damage. Fought Justin Patterson and was able to take the damage. The guy's pretty durable. Uh, and McGee doesn't throw a ton of headshots either. So, and I don't, you know, McGee's not a guy who's going to attack submissions. So I kind of like McGee's decision quite a bit at plus 150 if you can get it there or better. 
but yeah, I would take plus eighteen hundred is not bad either, to be honest. Give Ruiz his gas tank. Yeah, if you're getting plus one fifty on the decision, I, I think it's a no-brainer just to take the money line just in case, right? Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, especially if it starts to touch touch plus money, which it seems is trending towards that direction. So, uh, right. yeah, I wouldn't take that spot at all. Uh, again, I, I'm seeing a lot in the chat in terms about the the age thing, right? Like uh, he's 37, he's 0-3 against anybody, 30 and under since 2016. He's 1-5 in his last six fights. It's all styles. It's all matchups. Again, you can say what you want about the trends. You can say all that stuff. But at the end of the day, these are two different variables stepping inside the cage, and they have to battle it out. In this particular situation, I feel like me and John are both on the McGee side here and feel like he should be slightly favored and, and possibly gets his hand raised too. Look at the three guys who he lost to. I mean, Sean Strickland uh, that are under 30, Sean Brady. Are we really like getting – is anybody and getting worse? I'll say this though. The, the, the Brady fight, more competitive than people yeah, expected it, it to be. Yeah, it was a very good fight. So, yeah, again, I see it too. I don't have an official play on McGee yet, but I think if he, again, if he touches that plus money, I'll luckily take a shot on him here, especially with the fact that two out of four of my bets already got got dropped out because of all these <laughs> cancellations. So I don't only want to have two bets on the card. I feel like I, I have a couple other spots that I can take a shot on. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. And honestly, I, I don't know what it is, but I feel like this could probably be the most boring fight on the card we got Jamie Pickett against ugly man Joe Holmes. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 140 for Holmes, plus 120 the return on uh Jamie Pickett. Uh, honestly, I see like I see this being one of those fights where it's just clinching up against the cage for the majority of it, right? Joseph Holmes, when he has success, he's able to uh, clinch his opponents to uh against the cage, drag them to the ground, get his uh jujitsu going to a certain extent, right? Ground and pounder submission. He likes that rear naked choke, especially. But I don't think it's gonna be that easy to get a guy like Jamie Pickett out of there. I know he got knocked out by Jordan Wright a couple fights ago, but again, that was probably the most ill-advised game plan you could give J Jamie Pickett which was desperation takedown and leave your head open to getting Travis Brown styled elbowed uh, into oblivion. And that's exactly what happened that night. I doubt he does the same thing here against Joseph Holmes. It feels like one of those spots where both guys are going to be jockeying for a position up against the cage and it could just go over, which is probably my favorite bet on this fight is the over, uh, over one and a half, which is, chalk now minus 205 uh, over two and a half at minus 110 not too bad of a spot either in my opinion i see this being a slow drawn out fight uh holmes has a little bit more power in his hands if i'm not mistaken but uh again Pickett. Th there's times where like he, he puts his foot on the gas like the jonathan patty fights uh and then there's that performance against loriano soropoli which even though he won was still very underwhelming in my opinion right he was allowing the small man to kind of just control him up against the cage for an extended period of time now you got a bigger man in joseph holmes who kind of thrives in those situations i feel like he could have success in those spots i'm not shelling out money to bet on either guy here but i would bet the total to go over uh one and a half if i if you were putting a gun to my head in terms of method of victory and the winner i'd have to go with joseph holmes, joseph holmes by decision here at uh plus 330 not feeling too hot about it again right contender series alum here uh yeah i i just don't see uh how much he really brings to the table and Pickett is one of those guys that continuously gets overlooked right the star poly fight is a perfect example where he's like a plus 200 underdog in that fight and he just goes out there and just wins a very close fight could absolutely happen here, but I don't want to get stuck on either side. So I'm just going to take the over, which I think it will end up going. So uh, Holmes is the pick. Holmes by decision. But over one and a half is probably my favorite play. What about you, brother? Yeah. I, I mean, I like picking a lot here, to be honest. I, I don't really see. Ah, look, first of all, there's two plays I like. The first one is Pickett. 
I just don't really see what Holmes does better than him. You know, Holmes styles himself a grappler. He's out and he's got a bunch of submissions regionally. But when you actually watch those fights, you know, he's not much of a wrestler. He's not super physical. He's basically just subbing guys with no submission grappling defense at all. And like two fights ago, he's fighting an LFA against three and two Dwayne Diggs and spending large chunks of that fight on his back and getting reversed and losing minutes there. Um, his last fight, you know, he went on contenders and in a strike, striking early in that fight, was losing the striking to Shante Barnes, who's a 34-year-old journeyman who had fought, I believe, his opponent's win-loss record. It was like 17-49 and 49 coming into that fight. Um, look, when I look at Holmes, it's like I see he's got a decent jab. He has a decent kick. Um, this comment's great. Pick and body type like Phil Davis without the tools. That's, that's <laughs> pretty true. on the head it's there. True. That's pretty on the head. Shout out, Justin. But, like, Holmes doesn't have a very diverse striking game. It's really just a jab and a right kick, a body kick. But the jab, like, it's going to be tough to land the jab here. Pickett's going to be in the open stance out of southpaw. It's not easy to find a jab there. Uh, Pickett has a lot more. Now, albeit Pickett doesn't throw strikes, but Pickett has a lot more diversity on the feet. I think he's better defensively. He's also the first guy that Holmes is fighting who is a similar size to him um, in terms of reach and height. And he's probably faster and probably the better athlete, on top of which – like I, like I touched on, I would say I think Holmes is a minus UFC grappler. I think Pickett is a poor defensive grappler, but an okay offensive grappler. And I do think he's going to be stronger than Holmes here. Uh, I think Holmes is going to struggle to have success wherever this fight goes, to be honest. Now, I will say it's Jamie Pickett. There's always a chance that if Holmes decides to turn the pace up for the first time in his career, Pickett could mentally collapse or just decide to do nothing and lose a close decision. Definitely in play. But – you know, Pickett's got 18 fights. He's got triple the amount of fights as him. He's fought real guys. He's beaten real guys. Joseph Holmes has been fighting largely nobodies and not really winning those fights very convincingly regionally. Um, I think Pickett is bottom of the barrel UFC level, but he is UFC level, whereas Holmes has not fought anybody close to this level yet. Uh, yeah, I think Pickett should be about minus 150, to be honest. So I like Pickett on the money line. Uh, what I really like here, though, I love Pickett by decision. That's at plus 300. Because, like, who is like, – Jamie Pickett is not – he finished on Hope and Pate, but, like, he's not a big hitter. He's not dropping guys out here. Plus, neither of these guys is particularly high volume. It's going to be a pretty low-volume fight. And on top of that, I like the over. How is the over even money here? Or minus 110, over two and a half rounds? Like you said, Locke, you said, you, first thing you said is this might be the most boring fight on the card. These guys aren't going to throw strikes at each other very much unless Pickett just ends up with Holmes on his back. Like, I kind of think it's just going to play out in the clinch for most of the fight. I don't understand how it's not like minus 185, minus 200, to be honest with you. So I'll be on the over. I'll be on the picket decision. And I like Jamie Pickett generally. I like it. I like it again. Uh, you can rely on my guy, John, to to boost up a guy like Jamie Pickett as much as he did. But <laughs> I get it for sure. Uh, shout out to Tajik here for the donations as well. We see you there, brother. Uh, shout out to Tajik doing, doing the God's work on all the content he's been dropping as of late too. So appreciate that as well. All right. Let's move on to the next one here. I believe that was the main, or sorry, the the prelim headliner. Uh, God, you know, save us from that, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> the first fight on the main card, we got Jo Anderson Brito, or sorry, Joe Anderson Brito against Bill Algio. In terms of odds, uh, minus one thirty-five for the uh, Contender Series alum, and plus one fifteen for Bill Algio. Now, this was one of the first fights that I actually taped on the card uh, because I, I remember being somewhat impressed with Brito, right? The guy's a firecracker. He goes out there, likes to throw heavy strikes. Um, you know, no real method to his madness. He just likes to go out there and try to knock you out or try to drag you to the ground and try to, you know, 
knock your face to the canvas pretty much. But I think if he tries to go the takedown route here against Bill Algio, he could find some success. However, Bill Algio, man, he's very good in terms of, you know, springing right back up like a cat, gets back up on all fours, doesn't mind giving up his back either, and then gets back to his feet and, uh, you know, really starts letting the, the strikes go. And that's kind of where he, I, I'd like to say he's successful, but sometimes he's just a little bit too gun shy, right? Like he he covers distance well with his one two, and then more often not finishes his combinations with either a spinning back kick or just a leg kick or something like that. But outside of that, sometimes he's just too passive, right? Just watch the Hikaru Hamos fight where it's like you're letting this fight slip by just by not doing enough. And we saw Hamush have a lot of success in terms of putting him up against the cage. Even when he tried taking him down but couldn't get him down, he was just controlling it enough. He was letting some shots go. And he was the one that was remaining active in that uh, aspect. And I think that's the uh, downfall of Algio is that he's just not proactive enough. This is a fight where he should be proactive, right? If Brito goes out there and tries to all grapple him, I think he could potentially slow down Brito and start to take over and get those reversals, get those better positions, top position, whatever it may be. And I think from there, um, he will he will be able to ha have his success. Sorry, Tajik is just going He's off. And, right now, right and it's now. throwing me the fuck off right now. <laughs> I know, shut, I know. shut up, Tajik. God damn. I, I'm like, I'm trying to get through this breakdown. All I see is boom, boom, boom. Five dollars, five dollars. Love you, Tajik. Honestly, We're love at the you, strip love club love right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what I'll say about this, Brito could... I think he's rightfully favored because his style is just all forward, right? All pressure, moving forward at all times. And he's the one pushing the fight, whereas Algio is just a little bit too passive. Uh, I think even if this remains a 15-minute kickboxing fight, I think that Brito wins that too because he's going to be the one moving forward. And optically speaking, that's what the judges are going to be seeing. Uh, can Algio knock him out? I'm not 100% sure. I just don't think that that's going to come to fruition in this spot. I like Brito, just not enough to put put the money on him right right now. I think he should be the slight favorite, so I think the line is correct uh, where it's at. But uh, the overs in this spot don't look too shabby to me either. Uh, over two and a half at minus one fifty five. I like it. Uh, that that's the spot that I'd probably be going with. Uh, and then, excuse me, Brito by decision plus two hundred. Not juicy enough for me. I'm picking Brito. Brito by decision over two two and a half would be the prop that I play though. Yeah, I think it's an interesting fight, to be honest. It's actually one of, I would say, one of my most anticipated fights on the card. So I really hope it doesn't get scrapped because I do think it's going to be a very good fight. Because, like, I understand some of the Brito, Brito love. And, you know, people are like, oh, you know, very easy to take down Algeo. Brito's going to take him down or whatever. I really don't think he's going to control Algeo on the mat. Um, I'd be very surprised if he has, like, extended moments of control there. Like, I think he'll get takedowns for sure. I just but like Algeo does a great job working up. He does a great job denying hooks and fighting hands. You know, if I like, you know, Lamas may not be the wrestler Brito is, but Lamas is a better top game in my opinion. Ricardo Hamos, you know, is a much more decorated black belt, and neither of them can get position on the mat. I don't think Brito is. What's interesting, and you kind of touched on this in your breakdown, like ordinarily this would be the exact kind of fight where I'm looking to fade a contenders guy and back Algeo, whose volume I trust like implicitly. Like I know he's gonna throw a lot. But he's kind of like noodly. He doesn't hit very hard and he's defensively void. And so it's like, I do think Algeo is going to outvolume Brito here. The problem is, you know, Brito is going to be the one in his face and Brito hits a lot harder. And so it could just be a case where it's like Algeo lands 100 strikes to Brito 70, but Brito's throwing like howitzers, like headshots. And it's just a clear decision win for Brito because he's just doing a lot more damage, you know? Um, 
I have some interest in Algeo if it gets over plus 125, just because I do think he can make this fight a distance. And there are some questions about Brito's gas tank and what happens, you know, when someone really pushes him. But, you know, the optic standpoint, I don't think can be overlooked because I do think, you know, unless it just turns out Brito is completely out of his element, which I don't think, it's going to be tough for Bill to kind of overcome the power optics the other way especially because he's not a guy who's going to be making Brito miss a whole lot. You know, it's going to be the kind of thing where, you know, he's probably going to engage in a war with him and just eat the harder shots. But what I do like here, so like I lean Bill, I guess, but I'm not passionate about it. What I do like though, I mean, the over two and a half is around minus 155 to minus 165 goes to decision. You can get anywhere from minus 128 to minus 135 right now. I think both of those are pretty decent. Like, Nope. Like, Algeo went to war with Brendan Lochnane and never even really got close to getting finished. And Lochnane is a huge hitter, you know. Uh, Algeo's fought some really tough guys. And on the other side of things, I Algeo's not much of a finisher, really. Unless Brito just death gasses here, I'd be a bit surprised to see Algeo finish him. I don't know. I kind of think this goes to decision on a very, very high clip here. So I kind of like the over. I like goes the distance. But I'm saying offsides. I'm right there with you. I will say uh, this fight has slight comparisons to the Spike Carlisle and Bill Algeo fight in terms of the way that Spike throws. But the difference between Spike and Brito, even if Brito starts to huff and puff a little bit, the guy still moves forward. Spike Carlisle, we saw him continuously start to take back steps in the second and third round. And that's where Bill was able to start, you know, uh, uh, um, start pulling away with that fight. But I I don't think that Brito is going to give him that chance. Yeah, Spike's more dangerous in round one than Brito, I think, just because of the explosiveness. But also, like you said, Brito, you know, Brito will be there for three rounds. He may slow down, but he's going to be there, whereas Spike is gone after five yeah. minutes. And uh, you see that giant shark tattoo on his back, too? <laughs> like, that's exactly yes. how we fight. <laughs> Love it. Again, shout out to Tajik here saying, sorry, my button's stuck on donate. How do I stop this? <laughs> Love you, Tajik. Honestly, love you, brother. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Dakota Harry Bush going up against uh, Slava Claus Borshev. Uh, probably the two best uh, top 10 nicknames here in the UFC. In terms of odds, uh, minus one. Oh, we got minus one. Uh, minus 190 on Borshev and plus 160 on Dakota Bush. Um, pretty easy fight to break down, right? Bush really needs to get that wrestling going, try to get Slava to the ground. And then Slava wants to keep this fight on the feet and let his combinations go. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Slava, man. The guy has some great power in his hand. Well, good combinations and solid power in his hands. Uh, and the fact that he's working over there at team alpha as a striking coach, uh, you can see it kind of the grappling start to rub on a rub off on him in terms of every single fighter that he's faced has wanted to take him to the ground, but he does a good job of shutting that shit down, getting back to his feet and letting his combinations go. Dakota Bush, though, could possibly be the best grappler that he's fought or MMA grappler that he's fought to this point. Uh, although that kid that he fought on the um, on the regional senior, let me just quickly pull up his name. Uh, you might know who I'm talking about. Slava fought uh, Ali Zebian. That guy looked like a yeah. legitimate wrestler. And, uh, you know, he just couldn't get anything going. He landed a couple of takedowns, but he just could not hold Slava down. Slava does a really good job in terms of pushing on the head, even when taken down, so that he can start to create space and get back to his feet. And I think that's exactly what he's going to do here. Bush... You know, he had one successful round against Jaleel Willis. After that, Willis was able to start pulling away in the second and third rounds with takedowns of his own. But I'm not really impressed with Bush's top control, right? It seems like you can easily get up uh, from from bottom from him. And I feel like Borshev, a guy who 
doesn't really even settle on the bottom, right? As soon as his back hits the mat, he's already working to get back to his feet. And I love to see that about him. Not to mention his takedown defense seems to be ever improving as well. Uh, you know, obviously great knockout over uh, Chris Duncan on the contender series. So to punch his ticket into the UFC. But uh, I think that this is a great stylistic matchup for him. I think the line is exactly where it should be, minus 190-ish. When the odds drop, I thought there was going to be some value on Bush in this spot. But I just can't pull the trigger, man. I, I feel like it, he might land a couple takedowns, but I just don't think he'll get to a position where he could finish Borshev. And then by that time, Borshev is going to get back to his feet and start punishing him on the feet once again. So I, I actually think Borshev knocks him out too, man. I like uh, I like Borshev. Uh, I don't mind the money line at minus 190. Uh, the Borshev by KO at plus 120 is not too bad of a look in my opinion. I might have to take a little bit of a shot there. Uh, I know there's one spot that you like a lot on this spot, uh, this yeah. fight, so I'll let you get into it. But for me, Slava, KO, plus 120, sign me up. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because when I first saw, I, I guess in my head, I had remembered Bush's game a bit differently yeah. um, before I taped it. Like when I first saw the line come out, I texted Luke and Lags, and I was like, I honestly might max bet Bush at 170. This is insane. But then I went back to tape, and it's like, uh, he might not be. You know, I think Slava, I think he touched on some good points by his grappling. I think he's got decent takedown D, and he doesn't set a settle on bottom. You know, he works up. But I think there's some holes in his getup game, and his back is very takeable. You know, we've seen it happen a couple times to him um, recently. Kenley St. Louis got his back and was absolutely drowning him on the map before he gassed out. And so in my head, I was like, Bush is a very good back take. You know, he's probably going to be able to get it right away. The thing, and I still do worry about that outcome in this fight. Like, if you told me Bush goes out there, hits a takedown, gets his back, and chokes him out in a minute and a half, I wouldn't be shocked, to be honest. But when taping Bush, a couple things stood out. First of all, actually, just going back, Bush, you know, I was all, I'm all about fading the contenders, guys, and established UFC guys. Bush's UFC levelness might be somewhat questionable, though, for being completely honest. You know, he's fought three guys who I would say are at or near UFC level in uh, Bryce Logan, Jaleel Willis, and Austin Hubbard. And he did not really come close to winning any of those fights. Like you touched on, he had a good first round against Willis, and then he just got drowned for the next two rounds of that fight. Hubbard just beat his ass for three rounds. Um, the other guys he's fought, nothing really impressive, nothing really stands out there. Yeah, he takes them down, he gets their backs, he submits them. But, like, is he going to do that to Slava? I don't know. He might. I, I do think he had a shot early. But on top of that, he also is very gassy. Like, I don't think he can maintain the pace that he needs to do that. And so, like, I'm looking at this fight. And if they're standing, man, Slava's going to absolutely light into him. Like, I, I, I am always very hesitant to give any credit to guys that are debuting in the UFC because I think too often the market overlooks, you know, a lot of, like, little things that we think look good because they're fighting bad competition. Slava's kickboxing is super legit, though. The guy is probably one of the best 20 to 25 kickboxers in the division um, already right now. His grappling, I have some questions about it. But while he's standing, I think he's going to absolutely butcher Dakota Bush here. Um, and as I touched on, I think Bush has pretty big cardio issues. Plus, Slava's going to work the body pretty hard. Uh, I guess my view of this fight is Bush has a chance to finish him very early in this fight. I actually think early round props on Bush. Like, let's see. Let me just pull it up real quick. I was looking at this earlier. But I think round one props on Bush aren't really that bad. Uh, like, if you want to, like, take a sprinkle at it, uh, Bush round one plus 900. Like, I think that's a pretty good line, to be honest, since I think it makes up the majority of his win equity. Most of his victories are round one submissions. Um, Slava 2-3, not bad. 
But I think the best play here is the under. You know, I, I, I'm on the under two and a half at minus 125. I am on, I, I think even where it is now at minus 150 isn't bad. You know, the bottom line is, if it turns out I'm wrong and Bush can just dominate, Bush isn't getting 10 minutes of control and not subbing him. I'm pretty confident in that. Like, if he is dominating him on the mat, he's going to finish him there. And conversely, I know Bush hasn't been finished yet, but look at the guys that he's fought and beaten him. None of Logan, Willis, or Hubbard are really big finishers. And Hubbard, had he, had he stepped on the gas, probably could have finished him, if we're being honest in that fight. Um, I think Slava will get him out of there if they're standing. I think this should be closer to, like, minus 200, minus 230 range for the under. Uh, so, yeah, I like the under. I don't mind a Bush round one stab. I don't mind a Slava two, three stab. But I think the under is the best way to play this. Yeah, I like it as well. And just a quick note, uh, like G- DXJC and Uncle Weez is saying here, uh, Bush did take the Hubbard fight on just about two days' notice, so we got to cut him a little bit of slack there. But again, Full camp for the Julio Willis fight, though. Exactly, exactly. No, you're <laughs> yeah. right. No, you're absolutely right. I still agree with your assessment in terms yeah. of that. Um, all right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got uh, Catelyn Chukagin going up against Jennifer Amaya in the rematch that everybody was clamoring for, apparently. Uh, minus 180 for Chukagin, plus 155 the return on Jennifer Amaya. I just don't see how this goes any different than the first fight, right? Unless Jennifer Maya goes out there and tries to proactively grapple, yeah. but like that's not really her game, right? Like she she likes to let her shoot the boxing go. She likes to she likes to strike, but unfortunately for her, that striking style uh, requires her dance partner to willing to be willing to exchange in the pocket, and that's not what Catelyn Chukagian does, right? She likes to stick and move, uh, and that's why I like her. And she's usually overlooked, right? And the in the Cynthia Calvillo fight, she was a plus two hundred dog or something like that, and I was happy to catch that there. But like, I just didn't see what uh, Calvillo was going to do to implement her game in that fight. Uh, here with Jennifer Maya as well, we saw her go for a takedown in that third round and she had a little bit of control time didn't get any offense off from what i remember and if i remember correctly uh Chukagian was already diving on a, a leg to try to reverse the position as the clock expired there though so um i don't know how much jennifer Maya is going to be able to control Chukagian on the ground if that's the approach she wants to take here uh but i do think that we'll see Chukagian classic performance just stick and move stick and move uh I, i've seen a couple of tweets out there saying how can you play minus 175 minus 180 on Chukagian? It's it's there, man. I, I think the, the blueprint is already there. She's already fought this chick before. She beat her last time. She was minus 140 the last time around. So, yeah, of course she's going to be minus 175, minus 180 this time. I don't mind it. People can continuously say how close of a fight Chukagian fights with her opponents, but we've seen her in the cage with Jennifer Maya already. Again, even if Maya wants to implement the grappling, I don't think it's going to be as effective uh, as most people think it will be. And I think we'll see Chukagian either get back to her feet, get a reversal, or just get back to that stick-and-move style that we know from her. So, obvious and easy play here. Chukagian by decision. That's probably the spot that I'm going with. I Personally, I did take the money line at minus 175. You know, I, I just don't like decision props. That's just me and my own stupidity. I just don't like them at all. I'd rather just take the money line here just to be on the safe side. Uh, but if I were forced one decision as a spot here how are you feeling about this matchup yeah i mean i largely agree um look i i don't am i gonna bet her at minus 180 i don't know i think i mentioned it to you that is my concern is that Chuke does have a tendency to fight close but also she fights close but she also consistently wins so it's like six and one half a dozen in the other you know i don't really think maya provides look we, we just saw maya fight jessica i and in my opinion lost that fight but close fight but you know I Chuke works the cage a lot better than Jessica I does, and we saw I out you know just be outcrafting her pretty much that entire fight at range. Um, 
I we saw it in the first fight. I don't haven't seen many changes from Maya's game. Maya doesn't cut off the cage very well, and Shuk lose fights laterally extremely well. She's one of the few women in WMA who can use who can fight off the back foot and do it effectively. She's big, she's longer, her volume's more reliable, she's tough to hit. I, I feel, while they're standing, you know, I just don't think Maya provides as many issues at all. Uh what I will say, the thing is, it's like I want to say, oh, you know, Maya could wrestle and conceivably win the fight that way. The problem is you look at Maya's career, I think she's only attempted five total takedowns in the UFC. Like, and so it's like, yeah, you can say all day until you're green and blue in the face that, you know, what if Maya wrestles? But she doesn't wrestle. You know, she fought Jessica I last fight, who is a better boxer than her, and instead of trying to wrestle her, just let Jessica I tee up on her for 15 minutes, you know? Like, so is she going to do anything different here? I don't think so. Plus, you know, Chute, unlike someone like I, Chute actually is somewhat dangerous in the clinch. Like, I don't think it's going to be an easy time, even if she does go for it, winning that, winning that, in that, in that position. So I actually do think there might be some value in Chute here. I don't know if I want to play it. I don't know if I want to lay it. It just makes me uncomfortable laying it in WMA. Um, I do think the decision line is not bad. I think the chances of Chute finishing her are quite slim. To be honest with you, low-key, this is going to be, like, for me, like, just such an insane take, but, like, I'm seeing goes the distance at like minus three thirty, and like, <laughs> dude, I, I I honestly feel like that's value. Like, I, I really do. Like, if you wanted to parlay something in there with that, like, what what does a finish look like here? An injury? A cut? A like, like that's yeah. Like, who's submitting like, who though? Yeah. You know, Chuk's a dad of her a dad of her brown belt. She can yeah. grapple. She can hold her own there. Maya, you know, we saw it against Shevchenko. She's not going to aggressively pass if she gets on top of her. Chuk's not going to aggressively look to grapple her, you know. Um, I don't know. I kind of think that, like, goes the distance is probably closer to, like, minus 450, minus 500, to be completely honest. I actually don't think that's a crazy spot to bet um, or parlay. But, yeah, I mean, I guess if I'm picking a side on it, though, I would take Chuk by decision. I think I don't think this should be too difficult to fight for her. Uh, shout out to Uncle Weezy providing the stats for us here. Only four attempts for Maya in her UFC career, so she can't. She so she doesn't wrestle. Take yeah. that. Take from that what you what you may. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Banger of a fight up next. We got Brandon Royval going up against Algeria Bonturin. In terms of odds, minus one sixty five for Raw Dog, plus one forty five the return on Bonturin. Uh, I saw a picture of Bonturin at the press conference this week. Guy doesn't look the greatest. <laughs> I mean, we know he missed weight last time around when he fought uh, Matchnell, I believe it was, uh, and that was up a weight class at one hundred thirty five pounds. Now the guy's got to make one hundred twenty five uh, this weekend here against. Um, against Brandon Royval. I'd be interested to see what he looks like on the scale Friday morning. But one thing that I do think that we'll see in this fight, and it's almost guaranteed in every single Brandon Royval fight, violence and, and chaos, right? The guy just goes out there, doesn't really have the greatest technique, but he has great chaos technique, if that's what you want to call it, right? Like the guy just goes out there. And the Kai Car France fight, the perfect example of that, you see him get rocked by Kai and then he throws a spinning back elbow and rocks Kai uh, in return. And then eventually he gets that, uh, I believe he submitted him in that fight uh, shortly thereafter. But that's all of Brandon Roy Vow's fights, man. The guy goes out there and just creates chaos and thrives within it. And I can see that exactly happening here against a guy like Bontrine. Uh Now, especially if Bontrine, you know, starts to slow down, uh, as you would assume with a guy that has such a bad weight cut, Roy Val will absolutely gobble him up in the second and third rounds in terms of, uh, you know, output, getting him into uh, precarious positions and getting him out of there. I think Roy Val under two and a halfs are going to be kind of my like, just bet it. 
just bet it no matter who the fuck he's facing. Just bet it because it's always going to be live considering the way that he's uh, fighting. I bet it last time against uh, Alexandre Pantoja. Obviously, he came up on the losing end there, but uh, it still ends up hitting the under two and a half in that spot. And I think I'm going to do the same thing here. Even at minus 170, I don't mind it, man. I really don't considering what I'm expecting from this fight. Bontarin does, though, have a uh, have the potential to lock up a submission of his own on Brandon Royval, right? He's a damn good jiu-jitsu player in his own right. And if he gets uh, or catches Royval slipping a little bit here, he could absolutely take full advantage of that. But how long does he have for, the, for that, right? Like six minutes, seven minutes. And then after that, I think it's going to start to fall off. So, um, yeah, the, the Schnell fight was very underwhelming. You know what I mean? And not too much yeah. output from either guy. Uh, not much conviction from either guy either. But... Uh, Roy Val is going to bring that conviction out of Bontarin in this fight, and I can't wait for it to go down. So uh, I'll be on Bontarin. Sorry, I'll be on the Roy Val side, uh, not on the money line at least. Uh, I'll be probably taking him inside the distance, uh, which is currently sitting at uh, minus 105, so just about even money there. But the uh, under two and a half, I, I really like that at that minus 170 spot. Uh, yeah, I'll be on the under two and a half and Roy Val inside the distance. How are you seeing this one? Yeah, I actually. Um... I like the other side. I, I, I want to wait till weigh-ins here and see what Bontorin looks like, you know, on the scales. Because obviously, you know, he missed 135 in his last time out. And yeah. now he's fighting at 125. And that's – like, if he comes in and weighs in at 130, I'm not going to bet him against a cardio freak like Roy Val. But I do think all else being equal, you know, the only really strong argument for Roy Val here is cardio. Like, I, I give – you know, you look at Roy Val's career – I give him credit because he understands how to maximize his win condition. You know, he just does not give you a break while you're standing. He's going to go forward even if he's taking damage to do it uh, on the mat. He's going to attack stuff left and right. The thing is for me is he is – now, it's a weird comparison because he's more scrambly and he's a little bit more dangerous on bottom. But he is somewhat similar to Charles Rosa in that like, he's very weak and he has pretty bad hips. Like, he's pretty easy to get down. Uh, and he will play guard there. Now, he is more dangerous there, and he is more aggressive, so he can initiate some scrambles from there. But I kind of think if Bontorin gets on top of him, he's probably not going to get up, or he's going to have a hard time of it. You know, Bontorin's pretty – you know, he got up a bunch against Tim Elliott, but Tim Elliott kept fishing for all those stupid little front chokes and giving up yeah. position to try to attack them. Uh, Bontorin is much better at consolidating position than Elliott is. Uh, we saw Roy or Pantoja – take Roy Val's back multiple times with pretty limited issue. And Bontorin actually is a pretty strong back taker. And just, I think, is a lot more physically strong than any of the guys that Roy Val has fought other than, like, Brandon Moreno, who dominated him there pretty thoroughly. I, I kind of think Bontorin is going to be able to win this fight everywhere. Obviously, if they stay standing, there is strong concerns about his gas tank going. But I wouldn't be shocked to see Bontorin just get on top of him and maul him, to be completely honest. Um uh, it's interesting because I know the un I actually kind of sneakily think this is going to distance, if I'm being completely honest. I, like, and I, my thinking is I understand like unders here, but like, what if gassed out Bontarin just takes him down and lays in his guard and gets chewed up there? I really don't think Bontarin's very live to get submitted from bottom. And the vast majority of Ravel's submissions in his career are from bottom. He only has one submission that is not from bottom. And like, I don't know. I just have a feeling that this is going to be kind of a grindy fight with Bontorin getting, like, a lot of top position. Uh, in terms of props that I like here, I really like, if you have DraftKings, decision only on Bontorin is minus 115. Roy, that was one in four in fights that have gone to decision in his career. He's just not a very good minute winner. Um, you know, we've seen him any time he's faced a decent guy and has gone to decision. He's lost it pretty thoroughly. Like Casey Kenny, who has a fairly suspect fast tank, uh, 
went five rounds with him and just absolutely wiped him out on the mat. And like, I kind of think this is, could be a similar fight to that. Uh, on top of that, you know, I like the Bobster money line. Again, I wouldn't play it because, unless we see him look okay on the scales. And I wouldn't play decision only or over unless he looks okay on the scales. But if he does, I'm going to probably take a stab at all of those. Yeah, it looks like we're a little bit in disagreement in terms of whether this fight's going inside the distance or not. Uh, I do like the Bontrian play. I won't lie. Again, uh, technically speaking, Brandon Royval is never the better fighter inside the cage. <laughs> it's a fact. But the thing is, he thrives when he makes fights dirty and nasty. And that's exactly what I'm expecting to happen here. So hopefully that under two and a half ends up hitting regardless. All right, let's move on to the Coleman event here. Big boys coming up. My guy, Jake Collier, taking on Chase Sherman. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 135 for Jake Collier, plus 115 the return on Chase Sherman. Now, if that Parker Porter fight did not happen, you're likely seeing Chase Sherman as like a minus 160, minus 200, even in this spot. Uh, but that fight happened. You're pretty much getting the same prototype of a fighter uh, with Jay Collier and uh, and Chase Sherman. Or sorry, uh, Jay Collier and Parker Porter in terms of they're just big dudes that like to throw volume. And that's exactly what I think we're going to get in this spot. If this fight goes the distance, I'd be surprised if it's Chase Sherman that actually gets his hand raised. However, that third round for... Uh, for Collier against Philippe, you know, his body language just did not look the greatest. He outstruck Philippe, I think, by like 13 or 14 strikes yeah. in that round, but still ended up losing that round on two judges' scorecards, which ultimately gave it to uh, Carlos Philippe that time around. But uh, again, the, the volume's there. It's just he's got to sharpen up on that body language a little bit because, in my opinion, that's the reason why he lost that fight. Uh, but Again, when Collier's not getting knocked out, again, it's only happened to Tom Aspel as of this point uh, since his return at heavyweight. Uh, the guy doesn't look that bad, man. He still has the, the combinations. He still has the technique. He still has the movement. Uh, it's just, can he stay conscious in this fight against Chase Sherman? I don't mind my odds at minus 135. I think he does. Uh, but even better, just taking him by decision here, which is probably the best thing to do considering that Collier uh, doesn't seem like he throws with, with much finishing intentions anymore, right? The guy just wants to pop you as much as possible and just win on points, it seems like. So uh, Collier by decision is currently sitting at plus 150. Uh, I'd rather take that, you know what I mean? Rather than uh, taking the minus 135 uh, and, and leaving that knockout on the table as well, right? That That's a little bit of an issue that we have to worry about there. But man, Chase, Chase is just... He is far removed from that guy that beat Ike Dylan Oeva in his return to the UFC. And we all know at this point, right, he popped for that fight. He popped for the sauce in that fight. So it probably did have a huge effect in terms of his performance that night. But here against Jake, you know what I mean? Um, I think he's going to get outgunned, man. I think he's going to get outmaneuvered. Uh, I like Jake, and I like Jake by decision. Plus 150. Count me in. Yeah, it is a bit of a bummer, the uh, Porter fight first, because I bet uh Sherman in that fight at Juice, oh. which really really was painful um but on top of which like you mentioned you know I think if that fight doesn't happen or Sherman wins that fight you're likely seeing him around minus 200 in this spot and I'd feel a lot more comfortable betting Collier at about plus 170 than I do laying minus 140 with him um look I actually think it's almost impossible to project Collier to underperform Porter uh, as a striker. I, I think Collier is a much better version of Porter on the feed, if I'm being honest. You know, his pocket boxing is cleaner. He has much more of an idea defensively. You know, he moves his head in the pocket. He does a good job keeping his guard high. Like, you look at his exchanges with Carlos Felipe when they were fighting in the pocket, and Felipe is a pretty educated boxer, and he was having a really hard time hitting Jake there. Uh, whereas Sherman just tends to be completely flat footed and have his head dead on the center line. So, I do think, you know, 
Collier is going to probably, you know, work him over, you know, the, on minutes here. I, I just really, unless it just turns out Collier can't deal with kicks, I kind of struggle to see how he loses minutes. Um, I know Chase is a little bit taller than him, but the reach is the same. I don't really think, and, you know, when a Chase, you know, Porter is tiny for heavyweight in terms of height and reach, and he was having no problem closing the distance on Chase. So I, I don't really think, you know, the size is going to be much of an issue for Jake. Uh, his cardio could be, but but Sherman's got horrible cardio too. And, you know, when things get tough for Chase Sherman, he takes his ball and goes home. You know, that's the reality, and that's been the story of his whole career. You know, he's a great hammer. He's a horrible nail. And I just kind of think Sherman's live early. Look, we've seen Collier get finished in the uh, in both at middleweight and at heavyweight. Uh, I think Sherman is dangerous early in fights. He's fast. He throws a lot early. But – you know, if Cutler can get through the first round here, I think he's going to cruise in round two and three. You know, yes, he slows down, but, like, while Collier is a gasser, he's a gasser who keeps throwing. Like, even if you look at the Felipe fight, he's completely gassed out in round three of that fight and still letting his hands go at a pretty high clip in that fight, whereas Sherman gasses out and the volume just falls off a cliff. So my the way I'm kind of looking at it is I think, you know, a decent combo. Again, like, if you have scorecards, no action – Sherman minus 145 there. That's not bad. I really don't think Collier is likely going to finish him. Uh, on the flip side of it, though, Collier decision only minus 150. I think he is way wider than 60% if they go the distance personally to win this fight. I think that's a good look. Something else that I think is interesting, like, you know, the bottom line is the most dangerous chase is going to be in this fight is going to be in round one. Um, playing it live, I wouldn't mind just passing the money line. And, like, if Jake wins round one, okay, I'll take minus 200 on him live, you know. Now, I'm, if he's got a round in the bank, I'm happy to take the minus 205. And if he loses round one, maybe I get a plus number going into round two. So, And you get to miss out on the real danger of Sherman there. So I like Jake here. Um, I think live's a good spot. I think decision only is a great spot, to be honest. And, yeah, I don't think decision's bad either. I like it. I like it. Shout out to a guy, Jack Attack, with probably the comment of the stream. I'm on Chase, and I'm pretty sure, man, I'll see myself out. I love it. I fucking love it, Jack. Shout out to Jack there. Um, all right. Yeah, we're both in agreement, sir. I like Collier as well. Collier by decision. I'll probably have an official play on that as well. Plus 150. Don't mind that. Again, it's pretty much like playing him straight in this spot. Sherman, like you said, quite durable. Uh, and I don't think that Collier is going to have that knockout power to get him out of there. All right. Almost time for the co or the main event here. I do want to remind you guys, make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe on the first live video of the year. I appreciate you guys joining us. Make sure you guys go follow uh, John as well at MMA Fox on Twitter. And make sure you guys check out his club and sub podcast where he, him and his, uh, his circus of friends uh, like to get together on Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, break down the fights. Great sharp dudes over there. Shout out to Luke. Shout out to C. Shout out to Legs as well. Um, 10 p.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. You guys can find them there. Link to their channel is in the description below. All right, John. Main event time. And uh, we have to go to the main page of Best Fight Odds to find the odds here. Uh, <laughs> minus 240 for Giga Chikaze. Plus 195, the return on Calvin Cater with the C, apparently. Um, okay. Is the line wide? Yes. But... <laughs> There's one. There's two things that actually Calvin Cater has shown a, a deficiency against. One is pressure fighting, like Max Holloway, right? That was obviously the big fight that he had last time. Uh, a bunch of us were on Calvin Cater going into that Max Holloway fight, and we still have a lot of people shitting on us for picking that. But again, Max Holloway had a once-in-a-lifetime type performance that night. That was God mode that he turned on that night and absolutely put a shit-kicking on Calvin Cater. I was still having a discussion with somebody in my... Uh, in the comment section of my MMA Logcast podcast I dropped earlier this week. Um, 
And they're saying that they still believe that Max Holloway has better technique than Calvin Cater. I was so close to blocking that guy from my channel. I just don't agree with that at all. Calvin Cater is the better technical fighter. Max Holloway, the better MMA fighter. Let's get that. Uh, that's what that proved. Max Holloway is a better MMA fighter. But technique-wise, night and day difference. Calvin Cater throws much crisper and much sharper. Just couldn't get it done that night. The second thing that Calvin Cater has uh, uh, issues with, in my opinion, leg kicks and just kicking in general, right? We saw in the Hinato Maikano fight. We saw it in the round one of the Jeremy Stevens fight as well. Uh, he was having a lot of trouble dealing with the kicking game there. Um, and there's one more fight. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But there's one more fight where he showed a lot of trouble with uh, the Burgos. kicking game. Yes, the Burgos fight where he joins. He still managed to finish him there, but uh, still right, having right. trouble with that. But here, Giga Chikadze, you know, loves that Giga kick. You want to call it whatever the fuck it is. Anytime he throws a kick to the body, apparently it's a Giga kick. Regardless, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Omar Morales fight was a great one for us to watch in terms of he knew that probably kicking the legs was a better option than kicking the body against Omar Morales. And, and I feel like you'll see that here easily against uh, Calvin Cater. Just beat up that lead leg of Cater, take out that front wheel, and that's going to be a lot harder for Cater to find success in this fight. I have question marks about Giga's cardio the later that this fight goes. Obviously, it's a 25-minute fight. He only needed, what, 13 minutes against uh, Edson Barboza. But body language wasn't looking the greatest after that or near the ending of that second round. But luckily, he was able to find a big shot against uh, Edson Barboza in the early parts of that third round that eventually put him away. Calvin Cater is pretty difficult to put away, right? Like, the guy is very durable. Um, it wouldn't shock me if Giga got him out of there because I think he would much rather get uh, Cater out of there than have to deal with him for 25 minutes. But I'm also hoping that by the time rounds four and five come around, he's damaged that lead leg of Calvin Cater so much that Cater is just going to find it or find it much more difficult to be effective with his boxing type style. Again, he's way more of a puncher, uh, boxer than he is a kicker. And then uh, Giga Chikaze, obviously, way more of a kicker in terms of hands. Obviously, Cater has the advantage here, right? Giga Chikaze's hands are <laughs> very questionable. It just seems like he only throws them yeah. just to kind of like make his opponent respect his power he just throws straight power just one twos down the middle blitzes forward that's it everything else kicks and that's why i think that he he should be favored in this fight maybe not to this extent but i still think he wins uh earlier when i did drop my breakdown i dropped it last week actually for this one uh, i took giga by decision i'm starting to lean more so inside the distance man i think it's going to be hard for Kater to deal with that kicking style and then eventually he can change it up from the leg to the body to the head and i think that's where uh is going to find some issues here um if I'm Cater, I'm crowding Giga as much as I can. Walk through the kicks as best as possible. Put the kicker on his back foot. We all know that's the best way to counter uh, a kicker. But I think that Giga is just too good at this point in time. He's in his he's in his groove. He's ready to go. I'm liking Giga. Giga inside the distance. Uh, we're, oh, yeah. I got to go to the main page. I keep fucking forgetting. Um, uh, <laughs> fucking best by odds. Get your shit together. Uh, I spelled Cater's name wrong, too. Which yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. There. Uh, Chikadze inside the distance plus 120, Chikadze by KO plus 125. So, uh, yeah, I I'll go Chikadze, Chikadze inside the distance. Lay it on me. I, I feel like there's a cater take coming on. Lay it on me. Yeah, I think you know where this breakdown's going. Of course. Um, <laughs> Let's go. Um, if Giga doesn't finish cater in the first two rounds, can he possibly be minus 250? Uh, again, it, it depends on how much he's been able to damage him, in my opinion, right? Like, if he's really been able to lay it on him with, like, kicks and, and start to slow down Calvin, maybe. That's the thing. We'll see. I, I don't know. Where, where would this line be a year ago, before the max fight? Uh, Cater would be a favorite, for sure. 
Yeah, I, well, you got to look at what Giga's recent resume has been, though, right? Barboza and just beating the guys that are part of Cub Swanson. Say what you want about Cub Swanson, but like he's getting these guys out of there. No, no, I know. I'm just saying. I all I know is, look, Giga is dangerous, no doubt about it. I think there is a, even though Cater has been supremely durable, one of the most durable fighters in the UFC throughout his career, you know. I think there's a reasonable chance that Giga could fold him in half with a body kick early in this fight. You know, Cater does keep that guard high. Um, Giga tends to throw that kick, that body kick from the left side. And so that's going to be there in the open stance if he switches to it. So, you know, I think he could fold him in half early with it. Uh, on the other flip side, there's also the possibility of Cater catching that kick a time or two and suddenly Giga's not throwing it as much. What I will say is, look, the bottom line is Giga's going to be very dangerous here early. He can compromise Cater to the legs, sure. But also, you know... I don't think you can compare it to the Moicano fight. The thing is, Moicano just has much better cardio. He can fight at a pace that, you know, Giga's just really not capable of fighting at. You know, we I think Moicano landed, I want to say, 65 leg kicks in that fight. We've never seen Giga land 65 strikes in a fight, much less leg kicks, you know. Like, Moicano was firing them left and right, and I just don't think Giga can fight at that pace. So, yes, I think him compromising Cater's leg is live. That definitely could happen. But I don't think... It's necessarily a given, nor do I think he can maintain the pace that Mercado had, nor do I think, look, the bottom line is Cater's going to go forward on Giga, and Giga's going to probably accept it, play the back foot, jab, kick, and look to move. That's going to be pretty exhausting for a guy who, as it is, throws 100% into every strike and has pretty bad cardio, if we're being honest. And look, you can go and say all you want, oh, he's won multiple decisions, he knocked out Barboza in round three. Please go watch the third round of Omar Morales, Brandon Davis, Jamal Evers, and tell me that he looks fresh in those third rounds. You can't, you know, I don't care if that's your reasoning. This is a five round fight against the guy who does have very good cardio, you know? And so look, he can finish Cater early. He might even be able to dominate him early and win the first three rounds. I do think though, the later this goes, the worse it's going to get for Giga. And you touched on an important point here and that's the boxing. I think Cater's going to have a lot of issues cutting the cage off early in this fight. But if Giga's fighting, you know, on the back foot the whole time, he's going to start to slow and Cater's going to start finding pocket exchanges. And in the pocket, I think he's going to absolutely piece Giga up. And it's funny because I've heard a lot of takes about Giga finishing him. And like I said, if he puts him out with a body kick, I won't be shocked. I, people forget that Calvin Cater is a fucking dangerous striker, man. He's finished four of his last five wins, you know. He finished Shane Burgos. He's not finishing – he finished Jeremy Stevens. He's not finishing guys with no durability. He finished Ricardo Lamas in the first round. I mean, and even from that perspective, too, if you want to go and look at their strength of schedules, Cater, Cater's debut fight in the UFC was Andre Feely. The guy has fought nothing but killers since he's been in the UFC. Look, Giga looked good against Barboza, but the reality is Barboza doesn't have the best cardio either, and Barboza can be a cardio and elite durability who's also very dangerous. It's a combination he hasn't dealt with before. Um, look, I would love Cater to come out here and attempt a couple takedowns early. I think that would be optimal, but I think we all know at this point it's kind of similar to Jennifer Maya. You just can't rely on Cater to do that. He's just not going to be the guy that does that. So I expect him to have some troubles early, but I do think – and also one other thing. You go back and watch Zabit fight. Zabit's probably the closest parallel to Giga, to be honest, from a striking perspective that he's fought. Um, that and, is the fighter that I was talking about as well, the one that I forgot about. Yeah. But, Sorry, Zabit, yeah. You know, Zabit, he looked okay in the early rounds of that fight. He lost the first two rounds, but it's not like he was getting killed in those rounds. And I think Zabit's striking game is a lot more diverse than Giga's, to be honest. And this fight kind of, is a kind of a parallel like that to me. You know, Zabit fought at an extremely high pace that fight and started to slow down. Will Cater fight at the pace Zabit fought at? I'd be surprised. Or Giga? I'd be fairly surprised. 
So I kind of think the early rounds, because Cater is reliable to throw a lot, you know, are going to be a bit more competitive than people think. Just because, and if not, and if he does decide to up the volume to that pace, if he doesn't get Cater out of there, it's going to be bad news bears in rounds three, four, and five, you know, with Cater coming forward on him. Um, look, again, Dig is the more skilled kickboxer. I don't think anybody would deny that. But the reality is, you know, you have to keep in mind, one guy's got bad cardio, one guy's got great cardio. They're both super dangerous, but Cater is very, very durable. Gig is their ability. You don't really know, you know, and if anybody's going to have grappling success here, it's going to be Cater. Um, I just trust Cater a bit more. I think him going from plus 125 against Max Holloway to plus 210 against Giga is kind of insane, if I'm being honest. You know, I bet Max there, but that, I bet Max because Max is one of the two best 145ers ever. You know, that's what we're talking about here. We're going from the elite of the elite down to Giga, who's good. You know, I'm not ready to say he's more than good, though, if I'm being honest. Um, I think this should be – I'd favor Giga slightly, I guess, probably make him like minus 125. Uh, I took a small poke on the Cater money line just because, you know, if, as I mentioned, Cater is a very dangerous finisher, and I do want to have money on it if he finishes him early. But I think we all know the better way to play it is going to kind of try to wait for a live spot here, you know. And so I, I'm waiting, you know, if, see if Cater can survive the early storm. Because if he can, I think he's going to take over this fight. I really think he's going to dominate down the stretch here. Uh, in terms of what I like prop-wise, I actually like Cater KO plus 400. I like quite a bit. And then the no scorecards. Look, yeah, Giga is dangerous, live to finish early. But Cater plus 170, no scorecards. Nobody has finished Cater by strikes, you know. And it's not like he hasn't fought dangerous fighters. Like, he's fought many. And so I kind of think it's a... Not a stretch, but I don't think it's very likely that he gets finished early in this fight, whereas I think it is – there's a strong possibility that he finishes Giga if he slows down down the stretch here. So I like the no scorecards on Cater. I like Cater KO. Uh, if you really want to gamble here, maybe put a little bit on Giga round one, two. I think that's going to be a decent look. But, yeah, I mean, I, I will give credence to Giga. He's better than I initially expected him to be. You know, I faded him with Jamal Emmers. I faded him with Omar Morales. I faded him with Barboza. Big. Obviously, it hasn't worked out. I think he's fighting, you know, a bit more of a difficult style matchup than he has in the past. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going small. going to look for a live line. But I, I do think the line is kind of crazy. I don't mind it, man. Again, I'm not going to talk somebody off of a plus 220, plus 200 spot. And, again, it's really getting up there in terms of the odds. Uh, and I agree with you in terms of the cardio aspect of it as well. Like, in most of Giga's fights later in these fights, his, his volume starts to drop off and he – uh, his optics just don't, don't look the greatest either. So uh, that is definitely a concern. And the live betting aspect of that, absolutely on the head. I, I would bet Cater if this fight reaches round three because he's probably going to be plus 300 by that point yeah. or something, right? So it'll sure. definitely For have sure. some good value and some good reasoning behind that. All right, let's get to everybody's favorite part of the show, and that is getting into our three best prop bets. And once again... I was a little late in terms of getting to our guy, Cody Saftik, and getting his three best prop bets. Uh, so make sure you guys keep your eyes peeled on his uh, page to see what props he's going to be on. All right, let's share the screen here. Oh, uh, guest for tomorrow's Ultimate Weigh-In Show. We got my guy, John Kelly, coming in. It's the first time I'm going to be having him on the show. Really looking forward to that. Uh, very sharp dude. Very good in the DFS world as well. The guy's been absolutely killing it over there. Uh, and he's going to be sharing his wisdom with us tomorrow. That'll be going down at 9 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys join us tomorrow night so we can take the weigh-ins into consideration. There's more than likely going to be a fallout or two of fights as well that we can keep our eyes on. But me and John will be able to break down whatever's left of the card. 
hopefully most of it stays together. All right, let's get into these three best prop bets, and I'll kick things off as I always do. First and foremost, Chukagian via decision minus 120, probably my favorite prop on the card. Uh, yeah, we did the breakdown for you guys not too long ago. Chukagian, stick and move. Uh, I think if she gets taken down, she should be able to get back to her feet. Jennifer Amaya, uh, like our guy Uncle Weezy said a little bit earlier, not much of a wrestler. She's only attempted four takedowns in her entire UFC career. Uh, but I got Chukagian via decision. I will say this as well before I get into my other two. There's not much to pick out of, considering we only have props for about eight of the fights or or six of the fights, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, yeah, not 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 too many to pick from. So don't get too mad with uh, the selections I'm going to be making here. Next up. Uh, Roy Val Bontrian under two and a half minus 170 a little bit chalky but again Brandon Roy Val fights I'm down to take the unders considering how much chaos he brings in and sometimes he overextends himself a little bit too much I feel like Bontrian could potentially take advantage of that as well and obviously on the opposite angle Bontrian could possibly miss weight to, uh, tomorrow morning and that could potentially play out in the fight here against Roy Val who is just an absolute raw dog when it comes to fighting inside the cage and really putting it on his opponents and then lastly i'm going to go with my guy big jay collier if you decision plus 150 if he doesn't get ko'd early here i think this decision prop is way uh way way live here at plus 150 john i'm going to send it on over to you brother let's do it first up we got the borshev bush under two and a half minus 145 I think this is closer to like 67, 70%, if I'm being completely honest here. The reality is if Bush has success early, he's got a pretty strong chance to finish. And if he doesn't, I just think the gap in striking and cardio is so much that Slava eventually gets him out of there. Pretty binary fight to me. I love the under here. Uh, next up, I got McGee via decision. Look, Court McGee, bottom line, I don't see really any advantages for Ramiz Brahimaj in this fight from cardio to striking to grappling. But the reality is McGee has never been a finisher here. Could he finish gassed out Brahimaj? It's possible, but look, we saw him fighting a gassed out Claudio Silva last fight who's old, who he couldn't get out of there. I just think the decision's much more likely. I'd probably price it closer to 55%, to be honest. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I saw a guy, uh, Danny Legs, on uh, McGee round three slash decision. I think that was around plus 145 or something like that. Yeah, that's a good out of the line either. If you, if you have access to that, I think that's a fan duel line. If you guys have access to that, I'd suggest that as well. All right, last one. And last up, we got Jamie Pickett via decision plus 300. Look, I think Pickett's being pretty significantly undervalued here. I think he's better than Holmes pretty much everywhere the fight goes. But the reality is neither of these guys are high volume. Pickett in particular. This is going to be a slow, grindy fight. I think the over is good here. But Pickett via decision plus 300 for something that I think is closer to like 50% is crazy to me. I love this. Pickett decision. Let's go. There you go. There you have it, our three best prop bets. Uh, again, Ultimate Wayne Show tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern, me and John Kelly. Uh, John, I'll give you the platform right now if there's anything you want to say on the back end, and then I'll wrap this up. No, yeah, guys, just follow me on Twitter, MMA Fox. I'm always down in the chat fights. You want to DM me, talk on Twitter. I don't care. I'm always down. And Club and Sub Podcast, every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern. We came back to our first episode last night. You can find the description below. Come check it out. It's a fun show. We try to keep it light. But, yeah, pretty sharp guys over there. So, yeah, check it out and enjoy the fights this weekend. Drop your NFT shit too. I know you're deep into that as well. Yeah. <laughs> what? Could you? Check, check, check. You good? Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Also, follow me on Twitter at JStargeth. J-S-T-A-R-G-E-T-H. That's my NFT Twitter. I'm always dropping plays over there. I've done fairly well in the NFT space. So if you're looking to make some money on the side, you can check me out there. I'm constantly dropping new stuff.
There you go. Always innovating. Mr. John Strike Game. Make sure you guys go follow him over there. Uh, and then for me, you guys already know where to find me. MMALOT on and everything. Uh, and again, I will plug it one last time. Ultimate Wayne Show tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern. Me and John Kelly breaking down the fights for you guys one last time. All right. On behalf of myself and John, appreciate you guys joining us on this Thursday afternoon. Next week, no John. It will be Cody back in the saddle to help me break down UFC 270. And then we'll see John back in the saddle, I believe, for the first fight of February, February 5th uh, week. Strickland versus Hermanson. All right, appreciate you guys joining us, and we'll see you guys next week for UFC 270. Good luck on your bets this weekend. Peace, everyone.